Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Dan. Welcome to the We Built This Business podcast as we sit down with ambitious entrepreneurs to discuss their journey and hear about the highs and the lows of running your own company. Each episode, we will find out what it takes to be an owner of a business as we learn about the challenges, the successes, the failures and the future. Right, well, let's get into it. Okay, so Alex, thanks for joining us here today. Where whereabouts are you dialing in from? I'm in sunny Cyprus, Dan. Wow, look at that view. <laughs> Almost as nice as our view, Dan, isn't it, behind us? <laughs> I think yours, you yours, is more, yours is more consistent. I love how those waves just constantly roll on. <laughs> yeah, we've tried to we've tried to mimic your your background in a, in a little bit of a way, but we'll we, we need to work on that a little bit. So obviously today, Alex, we're you know we're here to talk about you essentially. So for those that don't know already know you. So Zest Digital was a company that you've set up in 2010, and then recently last year you've exited that business. So what we're looking to do today is obviously talk a little bit about your journey during that time find out how things have gone since you've exited the business with yourself and obviously what your plans are for the future. But before we do anything, we thought we'd, we'd start by just hearing a little bit about Alex as a school kid. What were you like at school, Alex? Were you, were you an entrepreneurial kid at school? Yeah, I've always, I've always been sort of entrepreneurial. So I used to, I used to do some slightly dodgy dealings, like copying games and music here and there and selling those onto friends. But it was perfectly legal at the time obviously no so I, I literally I, I used to sort of buy and sell a lot do eBay those kind of things I think I kind of naturally found it interesting to you know to find some sort of market or someone that wanted something that I could provide for them so yeah it's quite an early age you know the obviously the the games and the stuff that you were selling on and the, and the items on eBay what was the was the main reason behind it? The, you needed the money, or was it just the excitement of actually someone buying goods from yourself? I think it was just the excitement, to be honest. I've, when I was, at, you know, I've never wanted for anything. I've never been sort of spoiled, but I've always been comfortable with my family, you know, my family life. So I've never struggled, but I've always had good ethics put into me. So yeah, my my mum and dad would always say they wouldn't ever buy me anything. Um, they bought me stuff, but they would say you'd have to work for that. Whereas if it's an experience or kind of education, they would always contribute or or pay for it. So, for example, when I went traveling, my mum and dad helped me with that quite a bit. So it was those those kind of experiences and education that were important to them. And they put that into me. And if I wanted to then buy a bike or a TV or an Xbox or whatever, I would have to try and do that. And me and are very different. So my sister's very creative. She's, you know, she can see things before they're done. She's extremely arty and fantastic with like interior design and sort of styling elements. And I've always been sort of the more kind of businessy one. I just fell into it. I found it interesting. I started reading business books early, self-development books early from quite a very young age, really. Started building websites when I was 12 and that was for sort of family friends. But I started building up a collection of, I think that's where it sort of changed for me really is I started building websites and and becoming interested in how to rank them really fell into that hole so that's kind of how I ended up with Zest and doing digital marketing was I would build a website I'd I'd have anything so for example I I got bought a, a blender for Christmas at some point like a smoothie maker so I got interested in making smoothies I wrote recipes on what smoothies I was making I'd document it I'd take photos and I would 
create website content around that. And then I would get that ranked on Google and I'd make money from Amazon um, affiliates through Google AdSense. And the whole process was really around ranking the website. And that is literally what I sort of fell in love with very early on. And then I would just repeat, rinse and repeat the process. So I would do that around, if I had a puncture on my bike, I would document that. I'd buy a domain and I would literally rank that page and the website. Now, they were early days where it was a lot. And what, of what age were you at this, uh, this stage? Um, this was around 12, 12 to 15, when wow. I really had sort of a portfolio of about 30 odd websites, just doing quite quite good passive income. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was like a, you know, definitely wouldn't have provided a full-time income or, or even <laughs> really a good part-time one now, but it was definitely for the, for my age, you know, it was good pocket money. It was in the hundreds, so every, every month. And that was really exciting. And then eventually became quite bored of, it was a very isolated way of doing things so I became really I think at the age how old was I 16 17 I was just kind of you know, other things come into your life you want to be out with friends you want to be mixing and mingling a little bit I was playing a lot of sport so they took a back seat a little bit at, at that time and I would say I don't have many regrets but probably getting rid of my portfolio is one of them I'd, I think what would life be like if I just rinse and repeat for years and years and years, you know, because it was just, it was a really sort of proven system. Yeah. I suppose you'd have been an absolute master in puncture repair industry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I had, I had websites that on, honestly, smoothie, <laughs> puncture repair, I had weather related things. So you, you were really dr- drilling deep into niches quite early on then, you know, 12 to 15, essentially. Really, really early sort of keyword research the infancy of it. I mean, that's the thing that really annoys me sometimes is I was, I was very early and I was really good at it, but I was so young. So I didn't have, I didn't have the foresight and the business knowledge and experience that I have now to really ever capitalize on it, which was, you know, which was one of the, that's one of the the nice things is it was, it was always a hobby for me that had, you know, created sort of a little bit of pocket money. Yeah. It wasn't a, it wasn't a business enterprise yet. You were just learning your trade effectively. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I do always think like, you know, oh God, I was so early in that in that game, but I, you know, I didn't have the capital behind me. I didn't have the idea of how I would sort of scale it. I just did it for fun because I genuinely really, really enjoyed it. I made websites for everything, games I played, you know, anything. And then and then with the niche side of things and the keyword research, keyword rich domains, like when they when they worked <laughs> like a dream, I had, you know, I had loads of them and I was just, that's what I would do. I'd find a domain, find keyword keyword that had a demand and then I would sort of exploit that by you know building content around it in the very you know very early days early 2000s did you so obviously from 12 to 15 and then you know you moved on and you know kind of let that side of things slide a little bit did you then go on to university and what what did you study at university yeah so I my my websites carried on giving me some income again it was all you know it was enough to live on but it was it, it definitely wasn't sort of anything major I think my my average month was anywhere between five to seven hundred pounds at that time but for a young person that's you know pretty nice I went traveling before I went to uni took a gap year went traveling Southeast Asia and Australia New Zealand for six months with a couple of friends and then once I back from that I was managing my websites but by this point they were dying off so that income was you know a couple of hundred if that hanging on to the rankings they had but you know, losing others and just just needing need of maintenance really and then 
after I came back, then I went to uni the following year. I went to Chester University, studied graphic design. That was another real interest of mine, doing website design. I've never been a good coder, but, you know, I've always had an eye for, for design. And that's the bit I really enjoyed is the designing the layouts of websites, trying my best to code it, doing a hatchet job, which was fine back then. Wouldn't cut it now. Sure. But that's what I sort of studied. And kind of in my graphic design degree, I stuck to that side of things as the my specialist area, like typography yeah. and design uh, web design so obviously university would you in hindsight now saying that that was kind of instrumental in you starting a business or would you say you would have started a business regardless of going to university i wouldn't say it was instrumental and i know universities get and degrees get mixed mixed uh, amounts of love and hate um, now but for me I wouldn't say I've ever used my degree in a formal sense I've never needed to because I kind of went I started just young at 23 just out of uni not not many a couple two or three years after I came out of uni but what I would say is I've used design in every aspect of my life whether it's just how things look getting a, a gauge on how things um, are laid out so that you know usability comes into play and, and those things and I find that it's just sort of weaved into my daily life I, I always use it and, and and therefore I really value it and the other side of of um, university that I think is is kind of often overlooked is it's a very good way of growing up fast you have to you know, you have to take care of yourself. You're living with other friends, you're going out, you're managing your own time, you're managing your own deadlines and workloads and, and all the rest of it. And no more excuses that you can't blame your, you know, your, uh, blame your parents no, for this when, or, you know, you've yeah, got to do it yourself, haven't you? So You do. And when 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 you're doing a, a, a course like graphic design, you know, you, there, there are there is no hiding place. Like if you're if you're kind of, let's say you're hungover or you've had a late night out with your mates and you've got to get work done, you can't just sit in your bed on a laptop typing out words. You have to bring out all the, the cut, you know, the, the paints and the pens and the paper and the scalpels and everything. And you have to really be involved in it. So I think from that point of view, it maybe built built some soft skills around being able to think for myself and, and you know manage my my time effectively. And also work ethic as well, isn't it? Like you know you're on your own all of a sudden. You know, yeah. when you're at school or sixth form, you know, you've got others effectively kind of looking over you a little bit and kind of making sure that you're doing work when you're supposed to you suddenly go to university and they're like you don't want to do it that's fine you're paying for this it's on you now so (laughs) it's that get up and go like you said if you're hungover you've still got to go and do the work and you can't just sit in bed all day it just kind of it just it, it sort of puts you in the right mindset without for me I know others put their um, degrees into, you know, that is their their career choice and the career paths that they have. But for me, it was sort of the, the secondary skills and the traits and behaviours and things that you, you know, that I really benefited from. And I, I really value that time. And same with travelling. Travelling did that for me as well. Um, just, you know, being out somewhere miles and miles and miles away from my family and with a couple of mates having to make decisions, having to plan your own travel, having to be wary of any risk, having to book onto tours and make your own itinerary and stick to it and get to the plane on time. All of those things, I think, maybe helped me be more confident going into business. And I think, you know, the younger side, when I was sort of the entrepreneurial side, I think I had that in a way. So I think it, it maybe the two collided and made things work a little bit faster. Yeah, because there is a, you know, there is a big argument, isn't there? You know, whether you just learn by doing or whether you need to learn first and then go and do it. I've got a talk actually next week at the local college, and these kids are basically deciding whether they're going to go to university or whether they're going to go straight into the business world. 
it's, it's a kind of a tough line because I don't want to advise them either way because I went to university. So I can only advise them from my version of doing things. And I, I, I guess it's up to everyone what they feel is the best option for them. But for me, likewise, you know, university created a lot of soft skills, you know, the, the confidence that you're able to go into a room and, and speak to anyone because, you know, you're used to doing it multiple times. Uh, I think, you know, that all goes into business. When you've got to go out there and get customers, no one's coming to you. You've got to go to them. So it's yeah, a lot of skills. There's no right, right, there's no right or wrong answer either. I think you can do any any path will get you to the same place, but you have to do the work. I think yeah. the, thing, the things that I see in you know people that were in their early twenties and stuff, they have so many plans, plan, 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 plan. But they, you know, it's execution. They, you have to get a plan and do it. Yeah. It might work, it might not, but you're never going to know if you don't actually just crack on with stuff. And I think that's that's something that I've probably always been a bit better at. And I know you have Dan, like you have many ideas always see new ideas but they, they always come into fruition and some work some don't but that's the way you learn and, and that's the way you get things you know you hit you hit ideas that do take off absolutely yeah if you don't do anything you won't achieve anything that's the thing you've got to do it so obviously moving on from university did you then go and work somewhere before starting zest or did you start zest straight away yeah so i started i was doing some freelance projects on the side so at uni i was doing small design projects a bit like kind of as you would find with Upwork or or Fiverr or something like that, but way pre before those places even exist, there was a forum called Digital Point. And I used to do work on there all the time and just, you know, $50 for a logo here and there. And then I had family friends who would, you know, if they, one of my friend's sister had a salon and she employed me to do her kind of flyers and brochures and, and things like that. So I had these kind of odd jobs all going on at the same time, but all kind of related. And when I came out, I said to my parents, I was like, right, I'm, I, I want to run a business. So I did set up as a sort of self-employed, which, you know, doesn't need a lot, but I had a, I had my company name. I had all of those kind of bits and pieces and very quickly I realized that I was good at the work because I've always done it so it wasn't anything new for me but the bit where I had huge gaps was actually understanding what a business was I didn't know what an invoice was so when people was like oh yeah do you want to send me an invoice I was thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't really know what those is and how it works and stuff. So my, my dad was always helpful with that. He he was involved. He was a financial director for, for a family business. So he, he managed to help me with, you know, a few of those things. But ultimately, I wasn't ready. I My sales were coming from family, friends and contacts and, you know, small jobs that I would have to compete for, which is, I now know, is the, the way you have to do it anyway. But when it's like, you know, a $100 logo or something, crappy like that you know those things they dry up if you don't keep on them and and that, and so I got to a point where I realized I needed to go I needed to learn more about business and so I went to work for an agency I put myself out there I went for a few agency roles and I actually went for one I actually went for a job back in Chester because I really sort of fresh out of uni I really loved it up there I'd kind of settled in quite nicely and it wasn't to be and I remember getting turned down by that company and thinking what like I've been doing this for 10 years and I'm like 21, you know, it's, how have you not hired me? And I was so angry, but I, anyway, I came, I came Do you want to name that company? Do you know that company? <laughs> <laughs> I won't, but you'll, it's a big, yeah. uh, big club in Chester. You'll know them if you see it. So yeah, it was just, it, it, it wasn't to be, I came back down South Buckinghamshire where I'm from, moved with my parents. That's when I started and I started looking for sort of local um, agencies or, or within the area. Finally got a job at an agency and settled into the work side really easily. Again, it was something I was just used to. And I was really lucky because actually this company was turned out to be one of our 
competitors later down the line but but never never in a sort of it's always been an in, in an amicable way I've always got massive respect for my for my manager my boss at the time he, t- he taught me he taught me what an invoice was he took me on sales meetings he helped he, he let me draw up proposals and then kind of worked with me on the contractual part so all of these things that I learned were learned through you know, really shadowing my then boss. And and I remember reaching a point where we went for a pitch. I did the pitch, prepared the proposal, won the pitch, did the work, and I did the full cycle of everything. And at that point, I was like, ready. Like, I know in, just inside me, something just clicked. And it was like, you know, you know what you're doing now. Like, you know, you need to yeah. think about doing this for yourself. At the time, you know, we went in for sort of reviews and stuff. And really, I, I had so many ideas and put forward the ideas. But my 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 boss was like, can we come back to these in six months? The, the business was in, at the time, the business had lost a couple of, it was a bit of change within the business. And, you know, nothing nothing major, but enough to sort of sideline any any ideas that, you know, aren't critical. Yeah. And I remember being in the room with him and I remember, you know, he knew, he knew I was going to leave and I, and I knew I was going to leave. And it, it was, it was a really, it was a moment I won't, I won't forget because it was just kind of this mutual sort of appreciation that you know we know we both know what's coming up in the next few months and it did I then sort of left but in an amicable way so I again I I did sort of consultancy work for you know for my boss to make sure that he could replace me and have time to replace me in the client side of things where it was okay so um, I think that's that's a really important way of of doing it though as well isn't it because you know you you want to leave on good terms like I've when, I, when I've left companies, I've always tried to leave on, a, on as good a terms as I can because you never know when you're going to need them again, whether even if it's just yeah. for a reference or even just because, you know, some of the people there you really liked and you may want to work with them in, a, in another capacity later on in life. Yeah, definitely. And just, yeah, just decency. Like you said, it's these things all come back around. You're all in the same location. You're all going for the same clients. You're, you're all networking with the same people. I don't think I understood that massively back then, but I think just having respect you know I every I was only able to make that move because of what I'd learned over the course of you know the I think I was there for about 18 months or so what was your role there Alex what was your job title I was an SEO executive when I joined or digital marketing executive I think I was I think I was digital marketing actually but but specialized on the SEO side and my, my then manager was a guy from South Africa and he was really helpful he was you know, good knowledge and he taught me a lot but around the management side but he actually ended up sort of leaving himself not too long after I joined so at the time I I came in under him but very quickly I was sort of relied upon you know within six months I was I was given a lot more responsibility to help manage that process and he 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 actually went moved back to South Africa and yes I kind of the whole the whole thing was very accelerated you know this uh, classic sort of small business scenario where you need people that are just going to be thrown in and they're okay with that you know you you throw you throw as much work as possible at someone they take it on there's bits they can't do there's bits they can do there's bits they, they love there's bits they don't like that's the mentality of a startup and you need those people around and I think that's where sort of my boss's respect for me came because I'll take on anything and that was mutual, you know, he would, he would all, he would never hide anything from me. And I think I took a lot of those qualities into zest for me, you know, with the transparency around a team. Yeah. And I think one of the key things that any manager can do is give their employees autonomy. You know, if you're given autonomy and given the opportunity to fail, it, you know, the, your growth curve is, is hugely increased. Working in small businesses, I think that is one of the things that will always trump a larger business. You know, I've, I've worked in both large and small businesses and 
whenever you're in a large business, you know, you'll be in, you know, finance, but you'll be in finance, you'll be within invoicing within finance and then invoicing within a certain client. And it's it's very niche down. Whereas you go to a small business and it's literally like, right, you now look after all of our finance, learn how to do yeah. everything. You'll always learn more that way. You know, for me, I mean, I'm sure there's arguments against that, but I think with younger people, finding out what you actually enjoy is often the hardest bit. You know, I was very lucky with, with just falling into the the SEO side of things and the, you know, my love for digital. But using my sister as an example, again, you know, it took her years to find out what she really liked. And I think that's kind of typical, you know, and it's there's a lot of pressure on people to find that out. When you work in a small business, you can give things a go and you can take things on. I think, you know, you find that and it's nice to see when you when you hire people, and you see where they just sort of naturally progress to. It might not always be where you need them to be. So you have to, yeah, there is an element of letting them go fly, but at the same time, you've got to be, you know, you've you've also got to have your business hat on and say, I need a square peg in a square hole. So if you're a square peg morphing into a round peg, that might not be here, but it's perfectly okay, you know, and and sort of helping to nurture that into people. Otherwise, otherwise you are, you'll never get the best out of Moving on to starting Zest, so you've just arranged to leave with your existing company, done a bit of freelance. Did you then start Zest and straight away get a customer or how did it work? Yeah, so I left my employer employment in Mar- April, March, April 2010, and I started Zest in June 2010 officially. At the time before that, I was doing consultancy work on a on a day rate for my employer. And I'd also, one of my big clients, had come across with me, which which was a you know a, a conversation between me and my boss. It's not the nicest thing, but my that client was always mine. The relationship was with me. The results were with me. The work was with me. Everything was through me. So if they I'm not there, from, they bought from you rather than the company. Essentially, they they would have gone. And we had that conversation, and and my client said at the same time, he was, "I'm going to go." I'm either going with Alex or I'm going. So there was much in it, but you know, it was all about sort of making sure everyone got the best outcome at that time. You know, you never the you're never going to win everything, but you you weren't losing everything. So I, I was very lucky to have that. And then very soon afterwards, I really sort of took I got that client work in, and that gave me a lot of safety from day one. Because that's then, that's the biggest stress bear, isn't it? That when you first start, you're like, will anyone actually want to purchase my services? And exactly. when you, you when you sit there in that chair and you've got no income, no salaries coming in, and you're going right, it's all on me now. To have that client must have been a huge weight off your mind. Yeah, de- definitely. And I, you know, I always think that is, you know, you never ever ever want to be worrying about money. You just don't. You know, it's, if that, if that's consuming your mind on how am I going to pay my mortgage or the rent or the bills, you don't start a business because you know it, it doesn't move overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. So you need to always make sure that you've got clear runway to think freely around your business and to, you know you it's a hundred ten percent into the business if you're preoccupied with something you won't make it you know it, it just it'll just very difficult to to give your all to something that needs only everything you have when you're worried about other stuff so yeah. whether that's having enough savings in the background and giving yourself a three month or six month or, or one year runway or having a, a client in place already to, to make sure your bills are paid, that gives you clarity of mind. And then you can, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but you can fail. 
you know you can try you can go networking and it doesn't work out you can do try and win a client and lose and it's not life or death yeah. um, because you've got that kind of security in, in place so i think that was a massive help for me and then alongside that i had mentorship as well which i you know I mean, i've been a mentor for years now but it's really important to me because i had so much mentorship when i was getting started i went for coffees with you know business owners who were free to, you know absolutely happy to give their time i got lots of advice I, I could ask questions and you know and i really got i really got some valuable information that i've always taken and i and i pass on now you know some of that some of that some of those learnings that i was given back then are some of my best stuff now that i would rinse and repeat because it's so important you know whether that's no i was gonna say that that's fantastic because you know one of the key things is asking for help and you know you don't know everything when you first start and you don't know everything after 10 years or 20 years you know there's always learning to be had to be able to just ask yeah. someone for advice or you know information on us an area that you don't know gives yeah, you so much value essentially 100 percent. like i mean a, a couple of examples one time i got absolutely screwed by this guy who, who i thought was a client built, built a whole website did everything and he went through a tough period with his business and he never he never acknowledged that he'd order a website he never sent me an email it was all done over phone and so when i went to present a website he was like what website never asked for a website and i was thinking oh my god like what you know this guy's like 70 years old you know he, should, he shouldn't be doing that to a young business he shouldn't be doing that anyway but you know i just felt so kind of ripped up inside that i'd just been I'd, I'd just been sort of taken for a ride and anyway one of my mentors sat down with me and and we went through it and he was like right this is the letter you're going to send this is the pro this is the exact process you're going to go through for debt collection it's going to be it's going to look like this and and thankfully i had one voicemail where one voicemail in, in some like you know back end of my phone somewhere that had him acknowledging that i'd delivered on a mouse and it was it was enough it, it, it didn't pay me i got the debt collection through and i got a check and it wasn't the full amount but it was pretty much pretty close and he and you know at the end of the day i think he got ccj or, or close to it or something silly you know something that could could have been easily avoided and i learned loads of lessons i learned a few lessons because i learned you know always take a deposit there's no way i would do work without a deposit in place because that commitment isn't is a necessity um, making sure contracts are watertight. I've we've never lost a contractual battle when I was at Zest. You don't have many of them, but you do have times where it's like, oh, you know, we pay for this and we want to guarantee results, but you know, they didn't come or we don't want to pay you the full amount or you know, anything. We don't want to pay you the the notice fee. All of these things come into play, but uh, we never ever ever lost any of that because the lessons I learned on that day making had those things in place and so uh, when we operated it was with complete you know comfort and security that we were going to get paid no matter what we're going to get paid and one of the things my mentor always said a client that a client that doesn't pay you is, isn't a client at all yeah. and it was really really true particularly in our industry in, in the agency world where you know you might win a bigger client but they don't want to pay you you know 120 day terms or something silly and that's and they the draw thing. out for as long as possible and yeah. they rely on your cash flow to They'll make you work out about, you know, and they're, and it's, it's, they're not a client. They're yeah. a name that you do work for, but they're not a client. A client is someone who pays you for the work that you do. Yeah. So it's very much, it was very, that those things is where a mentor really helped because if I didn't have that in place, I probably would have just, you know, cried in the corner somewhere and thought, I've just been done here. And yeah. 
Yeah. I'd have to just start again. I and I'd probably I probably would have experienced that later on down the line as well. Yeah, and you'd probably saved you thousands and thousands of pounds for future business that you would have potentially even bigger business that would have been, you know, somehow I don't know where I was going there. But basically where where the business that would have come in, but you wouldn't have taken those deposits or you wouldn't have taken the money up front. You'd have done the work for a much bigger order and then that would have been lost. I think, Dan, you've got a similar story, haven't you, from when I, your time I had exactly, almost ex- identical situation with my children's <clears throat> entertainment business when I first started out. Yeah, we had a, we had a customer that didn't, that decided, well, we, we were being kind and said, well, we'll, we'll let you pay after the event. That's fine. And of course, that 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 payment never came through. But... I had to get yeah, had to get advice because we were literally relying on this as as income for to to pay our bills and luckily we just had her name and the address and that was enough to kind of go through that same procedure and and, and claim that 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 money back through debt yeah. collectors but obviously from that point we put a lot more better contracts together made sure we received payment up front and things like that so yeah it's very very important to get that get that done it, before it is and you, you know you always want to trust that people are going to do the right thing and that has to be first and foremost but it it definitely helps when you have those things in place and it say it has saved us thousands it has saved us in you know at the end ultimately businesses grow and businesses struggle and you're always going to win clients that are struggling they won't they won't they won't let you know or they won't want to pay you for the work they've done because, you know, they're still borrowing from Peter to pay Paul or whatever the saying is yeah. and stuff like that. But it's, if you have those things in place, you just minimize your risk of those things happening and you get, you, you can, I was always sure of myself and the clients we won that we would get paid because of the way we, you know, we were upfront about it. We'd say if someone didn't pay us, we could have the best clients who were clients of ours for, you know, eight, seven eight nine years but if they if they were late on payment they'd get a letter they'd get a reminder and it would say this is a reminder but after that then it's like this is the process this is our debt collection process step one you receive this letter step two you'll receive a notice of demand step three you know final um letter before action step four actual action you know and, and it's down to them at that point to then answer the email so just having those things in place a, a debt collection or debt recovery process in place is is really important and then passing that down to other people in your team as you grow and you get someone to manage your finances you know it's never something I wanted to do I was always the one selling it so I don't want to be your best mate and then you were selling me at the same time and that was my first or second employee ever was financial you know not a doer I had I, I got um someone in good friend of mine actually helped came in to help me out with the execution of the work. So that got the work away from what I um, got me away from the work side of things, focused on the business and selling, but then brought someone in to do the books and the debt collection. So I never had that conversation. I could be, I could be your best mate in a meeting like this. I'd step away. And then Rachel would be on your back saying, thank you. We need the money. You need to set, you need to set up that payment. And, yeah. and that cash flow, that, that obsessiveness towards good cash flow and healthy finances was the was the cornerstone of of the strength of zest for me it was only a small business but we had solid finances you know we were never ever ever in debt we were never without runway of cash so even in during covid we never panicked you know we were we did like everyone else you know you always were in like what's what could happen but we always had enough to see us through so it was never hand to mouth and it was all because number one our number one priority was was good financial management i think that's a really good learning curve for any other business owner at the moment or even a, you know 
aspiring business owner because it's all even if it hasn't happened to them yet it's going to happen and you know everybody has when you've been around long enough everyone has a story of someone that's tried to effectively not pay you and it's going to happen and if you don't have that process in play you are going to be stuck and the more that you put up front so that you make sure that doesn't happen the less likely it will happen so yeah it's a really really valuable learning curve So obviously with Zest, with this, you know, the beginning side of things, did you focus on everything? Were you in graphic design? Were you in SEO? Were you in web building? Or were you, did you niche at this stage? We were exclusively SEO. So that was my, that was my skill. That was my love. But very quickly you realize that you can't SEO all websites because especially in 2010, there were some bad websites, you know, even like decent word press templates weren't a thing then you know so you would work with websites and and they were just r- r- terrible so the only way i could win that client is by the only way i could win the client and actually do the job that i wanted to do was to redesign the website so that was something that we very quickly say we i very quickly brought in and that really helped actually because the web design was sort of you know cash up it was lumps of cash up front um for builds whereas the seo side was was a monthly payment so that gave sort of continuity and the two worked really well together it was never the intention to go into web design um but it's sort of we've sort of fell into it and i think they the two are married you know it's very difficult to do one without the other so that's folding yeah. into your existing empire isn't it because you know you're you're working on a website so if you can then build them the website as well you've then yeah, got two sides of what they need to provide services or business Exactly. And, you know, I, outsourcing wasn't new to me. So even at that point, I was outsourcing the bits that I couldn't do, you know, if it was a bit of coding or some JavaScript or something that I just wasn't really sort of comfortable with. And that really helped. But ultimately, I wouldn't say it set me back, but it was a challenge that I wasn't ready for because I was just just me at the time. It was something that kind of, yeah, we 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 fell into it. And, and actually, it really helped the business, but not by design, if that makes sense. It just... It, having something that was, you know, sort of cash flow positive in lump sum quantity versus, and then also having a kind of continuity subscription based model really helped each other actually because it allowed me to invest. So, for example, it took me eleven months to get my first full time employee, you know, which is very quick, um, but uh, scariest moment in my life. Like, you know, you're thinking, oh my god, like, can I actually do this? And and you always think, you know, it's a salary of like, let's say, whatever it is, can I afford that? And you're thinking the whole thing, but you soon come to realize that actually, you know, this is what taking on employees on a probation basis is, you know, you have a probation period to make sure you both work for each other. It's not, it's, it's always two way. You might be a crappy boss, but you think you're good. So that period is really for both parties. And that's the bit you need to be ready for. So you only need, say, a month or two months or three months salary covered. Yeah. That's all you have to think about. So cash flow wise, can you afford it for three months? So therefore, when you have something like the web builds that were coming through, though those pockets of cash that were coming into the business helped me to make those decisions quicker. And I, I learned the importance of all those later. I didn't know it back at the time, but yeah, as first employee, you're thinking it's just it's just the scariest moment. But once you've done it once, it, yeah. it you know, you know, you know when you're ready. And I think what one of the bits of advice that I got told by one of my mentors was, you'll know when you're ready 
because an employee should feel like an investment into your business, never a cost. And I've always looked at everything like that. If if I'm bringing someone on, am I is this an investment or is it just a is it just a, a cost to the business? You know, they what are they going to do? What are they taking on? How much time is that going to save me? How much? What am I going to do with that time? And what can I? you know could will i use it to grow the business will i just get time back into my life and i think when i i it was always a gut feel thing i always felt ready when we were ready to hire i felt i felt inside i felt ready to hire and i knew it was the right time i think it's yeah it becomes almost gut feeling but i think for a lot of new business owners that one of the hardest things is making that call because they're often doing the the bookkeeping the invoicing they're also doing the work they're getting out doing networking they're getting the customers in and they're yeah. suddenly going, this is crazy. You know, I can't do all of this all the time. The business isn't growing. I don't know why it's not growing. And the reality is, is because they need to focus on one or two things and they need to bring the people in to give them time. And then they'll have time to grow that business, isn't it? If you've got a pie, and this is how I, this is how I ultimately exited the business. So I'm sure we'll come back to the pie analogy at some point. But, you know, if you've got a pie of your time and it's got 50 different wedges you know, of bookkeeping and marketing and admin and social and all the other things you need to do. How are you? Po- how can you possibly think that you're going to compete? How can you possibly think that you're actually going to be the best or, you know, very good at the thing you need to be good at, which is what your business provides? Because it's like in anything, if, if you're a 100-meter sprinter, you're, all your training is towards 100-meter sprinting. You're not learning how to box. You're not learning how to bungee jump and skydive and fish and do anything else you are just learning how to sprint so for me the element of knowing where you need to focus your time was was really 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 important and i think i did that very quickly by again just i don't know i can't tell you why i did it but somewhere along the line something something clicked with me which was i need to you know make sure that other people are doing these roles otherwise I'm i think never- for me because I, I met you alex in 2017 and we were going to a networking group over in, in Kidlington. And I think the thing that struck me most with you is how you were building everything to scale, as in like you were you were planning everything in much more detail than I was, for example. I felt like I was running around just trying to do everything at the same time and you know doing a bit of sales, doing a bit of marketing, doing a bit of uh, finance, whatever I could. Whereas you were you were getting down and automating things. You were getting everyone in your team to write down processes. You were looking at how we can automate this business and make it so that you were, you know, you were going from I think seven employees to like 10 employees. How can we do that? And I think that's that's the thing that struck me. You you just knew what to do. And I, I guess that came from experience of running the business over a number of years. Yeah, I think so. And I think I think just understanding, yeah, you know, again, meant going back to mentorship and things you learn along the way. You know, one of the things I got told when I started my business, I got asked whether I wanted a, a business or a lifestyle. And I, I remember going, well, I want, can't I have both? Like, what, you know, why I want the business for a lifestyle. And my mentor said, if you want a business, a business runs without you. That's a business. A lifestyle business is equally good. It can be just as enjoyable and fruitful and everything else, but it, you are the center of that. And if you want to play golf and pick up your kids on a Tuesday, you build it around that. You build it around you. So you are the center. Whereas if you want a business, that's going to scale and a, a business that is sellable ultimately you have to be out of the business so i kept that all the way through with things like processes and making sure that i could remove as many hats as possible and that's where the pie comes back into play 
where every single year I would have a pie chart of how my time was spent by, you know, literally timesheets. Like, I, you know, using we used Harvest at Zest, but there's Toggle and there's loads now. But, you know, I managed, I used to record my time all the time. And then at the end of each year, I would look at my pie chart and say, whoa, I'm spending like, you know, 20% of my time on HR and recruitment now. I definitely do not want to be in HR and recruitment. That's like my worst nightmare. So, you know, I would say, I would see that and I would say how I need to get rid of that. There's no way I'm spending 20% next year on that thing that I don't like. That's how I would pass on that to either outsource it to someone who was better at it and enjoyed it or... That's the progression path for someone in my team, you know, within the re within like boundaries. If you're doing, you know, client delivery work, you're not going to be doing HR as well. But, you know, if you are doing the financial side, but you're also really, you know, you're quite happy doing this or you're a manager here and you want to do one to ones. Perfect. Take them off my plate. Yeah, it's one of the most impressive things I've, I think I've seen when I remember we sat down in the beginning of 2018 and you showed me how you how you'd spent your time the previous year in a yeah. graph and i was like oh my god this guy is so far ahead like he's literally <laughs> he's got timesheets of everything he's done for the last year and i can't even remember what i did yesterday so no um, yeah it was, so, uh, it was really this, I, I recommend it so just going back a bit to your first employee did did the pie exist here i'm getting hungry to think about pies now by the way no no honestly <laughs> the, the pie the pie was everything right so the pie is 100 percent of your time and you are literally doing everything. You don't really think about it when you're a one-man band. You don't really think about it when you're two, three people because, you know, business is at that stage. It's it's fun. It's exciting. You need that. It's kind of like a pirate ship, you know, like you'll have the best people you ever work with who are, you know, not very good at what they do or they're learning or they're going to be somewhere else. You know, the, the people you start with often aren't the people you'll finish with. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Like you, you know, you need those kind of mavericks who just like, yeah, I'll do, I'll do everything. And then eventually you work out and it's like, oh, like actually that person's not right for the business anymore or, or for them, they want to progress their career or, you know, maybe they're learning from me and they want to start their own business. So the, the pie was very much like just invisible, just a sort of mashup of everyone's work at that point. But one of the things that was a game changer within, within, the business and just in my own journey was realizing you have to specialize like you have to get your org chart you know you have to get it thought out properly because at some point everyone doing everything doesn't work it's not scalable it's mess when you lose someone let's say you lose someone who does your social media they do some client work and they also manage your team socials to find someone who's going to do that is really difficult so what happens is you end up passing it to someone else and then they're doing now a mixed job and you know it's messy you have to do it at the start but there comes a point or there came a point for me where i realized you have to get people in the right seat doing the right role and, and i think it's made easier now because i think having contractual workers and, and outsourcing stuff is a lot more uh, commonplace whereas i think you know re rewind 10 years ago and it's really you needed someone in the office or you felt like you did at that point that's when the pie started coming out because i was just like i need i cannot operate i'm not enjoying my own business when i'm doing things that i don't enjoy and that's ultimately what it came down to is you know you you i don't want to be doing hr i don't want to be doing the bits i don't enjoy that's not why i got into it i i have to do them i've done them and i've i don't mind doing you know rolling up the sleeves and, and doing them but if you just sort of like let yourself morph into this role that's what i think that's when people fall out of love with their businesses and i think ultimately that's where a lot of businesses fail is because 
somewhere along the line the founder or you know the the kind of the leadership has lost their way and they're just miserable and not motivated to they've, they've lost the love essentially they've lost the, they've lost the love yeah. because they, they because they haven't tracked where they they haven't tracked where their love is you know you've got to know and i think i think that really helped me particularly towards the end you know exiting the business i my pie was sort of you know really two or three things and they're all things i loved and i had to get rid of them they they were the bits i had to then pass on and once i'd passed on all of those things i was ready i, I knew i was ready to sell and it wasn't i never built to sell that's another question i've been asked a couple of times is I never had an exit plan with Zest at all. It was I did it because I absolutely loved what I did and I thought I could do it better than another person. One thing I would say if I started another business is I would be absolutely clear on what that exit plan was from the start. Because that's one of the one of the things in the the business books they say is it builds build to sell essentially. Even if you're not going to sell it, you still got to think of that end in mind. And I guess that comes down to one of the challenges. You know, before this podcast, we. We asked you, one of those was not relying on a co, you know on founder driven sales in order to exit. So how did you how did you overcome that challenge? Yeah, so I mean that that for me is no data to back this up, but I think probably the from what I've seen the biggest challenge to most businesses, definitely within my industry, that I've seen is the founders so integral to the actual work, and that's fine. I think it falls apart when they're trying to also be the leadership and be six months in front, but they also want to be roles rolling up their sleeves on the front line doing the exciting client stuff you've got to separate that a leader should be six months ahead of the team they're working with the team should be delivering the work in the present you need to know as a leader you need to know what's coming up what changes are going to affect your business and how can you capitalize on them or mitigate risks founder founder driven sales is something that comes right from the start and for me where we went wrong and one of the challenges that i sort of found over time was that every proposal really had to be customized to some extent with what we do because we take on fairly complex work it's not software development or, or major complex big scale stuff but it's complex enough whereby you need someone to write that proposal and that proposal is completely customized towards the client the way that i changed that was focusing on how i can make it easy for someone else to sell what we do and and this is something that came from my from a coaching group that i was part of but it was really such a good quote and it's it's simplicity scales complexity fails and i just love that quote because it's so true the simpler you make something it works for everyone if i want to sell you guys something the simpler i make it to understand the more you're likely you're going to buy into it if i want dan to sell something the easier i make it for dan to sell that thing to someone you'll be able to pick it up and yeah. you don't need to be the you don't need to be me you don't need to be someone else with skills in another area you just have to be able to sell what it is you're selling that's where the turning point came for me which was it took a long time to yeah. to make these changes because it definitely doesn't happen overnight but one of the things I really focused on and I really realized was that if I didn't write the proposal, we weren't going to win that business. I could get someone else to do it in my team, but I was taking them off client work. And I can't say to them, well, why, how come you're late for this bit of work here? Because that I've just asked them to put eight hours into something that I'm supposed to be doing. It was about looking at the things that we do and do we even need to go into that level of detail for clients? Do they care? And ultimately, I realized that a lot of it was stuff they don't really care about. 
And if they do care about it, why? You can question that. Why do you care? Why do you care what language it's written in? In your business, you will care about those things, but another business won't care. They don't need to care. It just needs to be what it is they're trying to do, which is a book a table at a restaurant or whatever it is they might be doing. So it was about simplifying everything down to what we actually provided and and going in with that and seeing if it worked. And the more we did that, the less I was involved in the pitch process and the more we started winning stuff without my involvement. And it wasn't, it. I would get involved and we'd have to do like bits and pieces, but it just became less and less and less and less. And it's by no means that I'm a genius or I, I'm the one with all the ideas. It was just 70% of the of a proposal was written fresh every time. It's yep. time consuming. It's not scalable. And ultimately it's a boutique business that's founder led that, that you can't exit without without moving that on. Never, you'll never exit a business like that because once you do. Yeah, it got me thinking because we when we signed up with with Zest for our recent build, for example, two things I think I cared about was could you do it and how much was it? I didn't yeah. care what system it was in because I don't know what systems are, are out there. I just like what is like you're the experts, you tell me what system you're gonna build it in. Yeah, and, you've, got, um, you've got a problem or you've got a challenge or you've got an idea and you want to see that put into practice. There are details around it, but ultimately you just want to know, okay, how much is this going to, how much investment is this going to take? How long is it going to take? And what's the process look like? What involvement do you need from me? And I think a lot of businesses like that, we all love the sound of our own voice. We all love thinking that what we do is the most exciting thing on the planet. So we talk about it. If you talk to me about a website, I'll pick out everything and from an SEO point of view and all of this, but it's not necessarily interesting and it's not necessarily the right thing. And I think yeah. that's where we go wrong is put, put the shoe on the other foot about your customer. What do they care about? Like they don't, they don't care about meta metadata or like hreflang and all of these like kind of like buzz, buzzy terms. They don't yeah. care about that. So, so why do you have them in a proposal? Why do you have them in a pitch process? It's just not necessary. And actually it became a, a bit of a red flag when clients or would be clients did ask for that stuff. Massive red flag. Because it was like, this guy's going to be a nightmare to work. Like, why is, there, why, is, why, why is he asking information about stuff that's like the real detail? Like spreadsheets of keyword data that he's going to like, sell, you know, cross-reference with his own ideas. And you're just like, no, if you want to do it, you go and do it. <laughs> it's fine with us. Or we'll go with someone else. But that person's going to be a time waster. They're not, they're not focused on their own business. And when you see a business owner that's focused on their own business, they're, they're, you can see it that's a good business that you want to work with because they're going places anyway you're just helping them our job was to help them achieve what it is they're already going to achieve we're not there to save your business we amplify what's already there that's marketing but if you're a great business we'll make you better if you're a terrible business we're not going to save you because we can't <laughs> we're not it's not it's not for us to do that so those kind of things you learn along the way is only comes with experience really it's, it's understanding what a good client is and we all get, we read all these books and it's like this is the ideal client so important i never valued that but it's so important to know what your ideal customer to have rules as to what customers you won't take on because you will cut they will come and this is the pie thing again if you're spending your time networking and marketing and or, or set or out there driving sales you're going to get sales you're going to get opportunities the problem is not every opportunity is a good one and you've got to pick and choose what works for you rather than just yeah. what, what business is coming your way, essentially. Are they going to be a nightmare for your team? Are they going to be profitable? Are they a successful business anyway? What's the differentiation 
that sets them out. But sometimes we have to take on business because you have to. It's like that's your lifeblood. Sometimes you see a project and you're like, oh, it's not very exciting, but we can do it and we'll do it. But they never last. They're never the businesses that last. And in our industry, it's it's longevity and retention that's important. We keep our, our average lifetime of a customer is 48, 42 months, nearly four years for a customer in a quite high paced demanding and we valued it we really treasured that retention stat because yeah. we don't have to make money from you up front and we don't go out there looking to for will we keep you for years to come yeah because if we can then we'll work together really well we'll give you all the time and all the effort and all the we will do the things that sometimes you have to do especially in our, our industry it's like the website goes down and lewis is there like working at 2 a.m now we're not going to charge the customer for that 2 a.m but we'll do it if you've been a customer for seven years or three years or four years. It's a pleasure to do that. That's the relationship side. If you're a micromanaging nightmare client, no, like <laughs> you won't last long. I can wait till 9 a.m. <laughs> everyone, yeah, everyone says clients, customer always comes first. No, they don't. Customer does not come first. It's your business. Your business comes first and your employees and your team comes first. If yeah. someone's going to be a, if I don't know if you have language control on the on the podcast, but if someone's going to be a dick to your team, <laughs> you get rid of that. Get rid of that business. And we did that with big clients, clients that would just take us for an absolute ride, demand that we were on seven pm calls, tell us work, so give us work on a Friday morning, and need it before the weekend. Your inability to plan and be efficient at anything of what you're doing is not our problem. And despite them paying us really well. The cost of losing a good person is is far far outweighs that. You have to be ready to sort of like cut ties and be you have to fire your customers sometimes. Yeah, and be be polite about it, but it's that's it's just business. You you have to do that. There's always churn. You can't just stack customers because eventually it just it just becomes messy. And burns burns you out as well as the team, doesn't it? That's the thing. You had three challenges that you overcame. The third one, so we've talked about two of them. One was obviously the founder-driven sales. The other one was repeatable and scalable. Um, the third one was actually keeping the team together, which kind of circles a little bit back to, to kind of the beginning days, essentially. So I found an article in, in the Oxford Mail, actually. It was to do with Vestigial nominated for breakout space of the year um, in March 2019. And there's a, there's a picture of you there with a beer, playing air guitar um, with about six or seven other staff. So it looked, it looked fantastic. Was that... Was that part of the culture at Zest that kind of kept the team together? Yeah, a hundred percent. Our culture was was really strong. I think I think just purely because everyone gets to say, everyone has always been valued. Like it's never it's never my way or the highway. It's always it's not so much a democracy where it's like let's put everything to vote, but it was always built on just a high level of trust and reliability of being able to rely on on those around you yeah lewis who runs the business now he's been with me or he was with me six seven years i could count on him for anything and likewise if he ever needed me he would count on me for anything still the case i, I still speak to team members who left in 2014 and they'll message me and say like oh what's new or could you take a look at this what do you think uh, and i could do the same and it's uh, it was very much it was very much keeping the, the culture was so important and investing in that i think is a really important part of business it's gone too far if i'm if i'm being completely transparent 
we're in the agency world, right? Our success was founded on Google and Facebook and, and all of these guys, but they equally have made it very difficult for the average small business to impress and actually perform because everyone wants cupcakes on a Friday and free beer and free lunches. It's very difficult to put those things in place and to keep up with them. So things become an expectation after a while. So there were things that didn't work. And along the way, we always kept things fresh enough so that these things weren't an expectation, but they were always felt like a treat. And we'd always just give things a go. That's also important is you've got to make an environment where people have fun. That's what we're here for. If you're not having fun, you're going to work every day. You might be the best person in the world, but your work's going to be rubbish. You're going to be annoying to everyone else because you're not happy. And that goes from a founder right the way down. Everyone has to be happy and comfortable and enjoying work. And I think that comes with good communication, investing a little bit. It doesn't take a lot. We'd spend £30 on a popcorn maker. It's nothing, but we can make popcorn. Like, it's just fun. So I've been in offices and seeing going to pitch for clients you're thinking how does anyone work here i'd go in one place i'd be like oh my god these these guys are stand short they're, they're shoulder to shoulder in a hot sweaty attic putting together <laughs> putting together picture frames like it was borderline slave labor and horrible working conditions i've like, had a popcorn maker somewhere out there somewhere <laughs> i hope so but yeah it was just you go to a place like that and you're like so gray but yeah on, on the other side that was just a nice little thing we went for because i think did you win it because i know you were you were up for it weren't you i think no <laughs> we came we were one of the finalists but we lost and the, the company that won it had spent two million pounds on a refurb oh my. And, you did, <laughs> and you didn't win yeah and it's like well, of course they're going to win because who can spend two million pound on a bloody? What did they have for two million? What was it? Lots of popcorn machines. Obviously, <laughs> it was it. The office looked incredible. Kitchen and they had like ping pong and arcade machines and pods. Everything it was basically you, a pub. Then everything that you, everything that you think in your mind, they they had. They're going to win, and they should win. But it would have helped if they had a sort of categorised businesses a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, we didn't win that, but it was good fun. Obviously, moving slightly to a different angle with um, with the team, like with yourself when you were with um, your previous company, and then you left. Obviously, you had team members that were in key positions, and then they they left, and then the impacts that had on on the business. How did how did you kind of overcome that that problem essentially? Yeah. So during the entire journey, I had, I had a few key people leave, but there were two, three, or four that were really, really, really key. And they're hard to lose when you've lost a good person because you're just like, you have that sinking feeling and you're thinking, that pie I was talking about, I've just taken the <laughs> wedges back. We always left on, on good terms. Everyone left on good terms. I, I was, I, I've always respected if people want to leave and need to leave, it's the best thing for them and it's the best thing for, for you ultimately. It will be better. But at the time, it's very difficult. The challenges are, the things I learned from the challenges, the challenges turned out to be, for me, you avoid try to avoid having star players you can have them but you need to have lots of them but if you have a star player it means you're over-reliant on that one person to do things and that ultimately probably drives them away because they're so good and i had that number a number of times in, in zest where it was just like i don't know what to do like i'll just give it to such and such and 
they'll know what to do and they do and these are great people they're hardworking, put their business first and, and all the rest of it but what you don't see is they actually can hold others back so I remember I'll give you one example one my co-director James left to go and take over his dad's business in in 2017 I'm best friends with James he was best man at my wedding last year I'm godfather to his children we're very close but at the time it was the right move for him to go and run at that business and see if he can if he can have his own thing so one having a proper things in place so notice period needs to be a notice period needs to be appropriate for the person that is in your team because it doesn't happen overnight where you're going to hire a replacement if you can it's obviously a a, a job that's um, slightly easier to do slightly more simple something that's easily replaceable it could be something complex like a, a bookkeeper for example you can replace them because it's a very clearly defined job but typically in a small business if you've got someone that's doing lots of things which i spoke about earlier they're really hard to replace and i think the the way we overcame the challenges really one was just you got to roll up your sleeves and do it and you just it happens that was the first time the second time we had proper notice periods in place to make sure that people would work it, to, to say, look, I appreciate you need to go, but you need to appreciate this is a business. And there's a number of other people who are reliant on this business maintaining some sort of consistency. What, what sort of notice um, period was that they had implemented? Three months. Any key, any key person, three months. One month to one month to absorb the fact for them to document document their role. And that was a, that was another thing. So the notice period key. One, one month to get things in motion, two months to actually replace. The second thing is making sure that every single, every single person in your business maps out the processes that they do. They document their own job in a universal format that everyone understands. So what is it you do and how do you do it? And that, it doesn't have to be boring and robotic. You could just do a, a Loom video or something like this where you're just saying, well, I update the company calendar every Monday and this is how I do it. I log in here, then I set this, this is my template, that's good. Then you never need to touch that again. So every touch point, every key touch point becomes a process, mapped out process, which means when you replace someone, they've got a handover procedure that works. And that's, that is another thing. The third thing is the handover needs to be solid. So you always ideally need a third person in that handover, because if I'm handing over to Dan and I want to get out of there, I'm, I'm checked out now. Because I start, I go on holiday on Thursday and I've got two weeks before I start my new role and I'm really happy. So I'm going to tell Dan the quickest possible route to do my job. Dan's the new, the new employee he's trying to impress. So he's like, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah, got it. Yeah, no problem. The third person makes sure that both parties really understand what they're doing and then it acts as a bit of a backstop to anything you need. It's not watching over, it's just business. You need to make sure your business continues. You need to make sure that you're not half-arsing that handover process because ultimately you, you need those things in place to get that person running off the ground and then when your new person gets a proper handover they're going to succeed a lot more you know the worst thing you can do is drop someone into a job they don't know that's anyone that's really really good advice yeah i i, I must i've never thought about it in that level of detail the impact and obviously the fallout and the, the process behind getting that those jobs fulfilled essentially it's a really good advice there you always i i would say you always you know one of the things i've learned we, we've, we've lost people along the way and there's we've had times where i've been like really down like kind of lost two key people in no time at all and i'm just like head in head in hands oh my god like what what have i what have i done wrong 
well, what's gone wrong? What's what's created this? And it's not always something that goes wrong. It's just we're all people. We've all got our own paths and we're all trying to do our own thing. Everyone, it's very easy for a founder of a business to be blinkered and think like everyone needs to be on this business. But that, that's true to some extent. But it's very difficult to manage in reality to keep everyone happy and to keep those wheels turning and to keep everyone enthusiastic and progressing and learning and growing and all those things that we all want to do. It's extremely difficult to do that when you have multiple people. So you're always going to have some level of churn. But one thing that we were very good at, and this is again going back to the cultural side in the business, was we ingrained this culture in everyone really, is or at least our kind of more senior team. We ingrained, you know, this need to process. It's boring as hell, but it saved us so many times. It doesn't need to be complex. You can overdo it. You can write template after template after template. No one's going to read it. It's like, what are the key things? You don't need to say, click this button here, click this button there, do that. You just need to say, if it's how to lock up the office at night, it's a simple process, but it means that if someone needs to stay, they can stay. How do you do it? Make sure all, make sure all the lights are turned off, set the alarm. The alarm is this. Don't close the door before you set the alarm. Once you've set the alarm, leave, check that the door's locked and go. Like It's basic common sense, but... Common sense makes a common. huge difference if it's, if it's written down. Yeah, and also um, it gives you it gives you middle ground because if someone doesn't do that, you can say, "Look, it's not me having a go at you, Dan. It's the process that you wrote, or it's the process that's written. It's five steps. How come you didn't follow it? Well, I didn't look at the process. Why didn't you look at the process? Well, because I didn't know where to find it. Okay, fine, we can learn from that. It doesn't excuse the fact that you never did it, but the fact that you couldn't find it is also something we need to improve on. And then you just get into this habit of making sure that everything's accessible and as much as possible. It's, we were never perfect and we, we definitely, it's always the it's, ideal outcome when you describe stuff like this. There was lots of times where process wasn't followed because it was actually unimportant. It was process for process sake. And, and that's just as bad as like, if you've got process after process after process. Bringing that corporate level of organization to a smaller business, isn't it? But that can also hinder the entrepreneurial side of the business as well, potentially, if people are like, okay, how do I do it? Just show me exactly how I do it rather than thinking outside the box. So it's, it's a tough 100, one. Isn't it? 100%. If you say put a shelf up, I don't care whether you put the brackets on first into the wall or whether you put the brackets into the shelf and then put that on. Like, I, don't, I don't care about the order. Just get the shelf on the wall yeah. to this spec. And I think that's something that you go back to is like, okay, what is the outcome you need? And then everyone's going to be different. You like, you have personality profiles. Start with the end goal in mind, isn't it? Yeah, some some people some people sit there and, and sort of plan everything and visualize it. And like, they're kind of thinking, well, I'm going to do this. And step one's out, step two. Da, 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 da. And there's other people that are just like, right, bull in a china shop. And I'll figure it out along the way. There's some people what? that talk about it. There's some people that write about it. There's some people that just do. And there's some people that just planned and they don't actually do. Like, they're all valuable, but you're never going to have a process that works for everyone. The more the more detailed you have, or the more detailed process you have, the harder it is. And you know, some of those things actually came into play. Like when we when we would write proposals, we went for a stage where we'd write sort of a summary. So we'd write for personality profiles. So we'd write the top level. What is it we're going to do? Like exactly like you said. I mean, you are highly sort of that kind of D that D profile Dan where it's like give me a task I'm just going to smash through it tell me how much it's going to cost and then get out of my office and let me crack on and then you got and then you got other then you got other people who want to sit down and talk to you about it how do you feel about this 
decision that you're making and what would be your top priority when you do and, and that's all fine so you have to when you when you design like things like proposal process like if you can i mean if you've got the, the if you've got the capacity to do so that's how i would that's how i would do it now so we'd write like executive summary kind of what is that then then sort of the brand story piece for the the kind of yeah the people the people lovers who want to know that bit and then right at the end you see it on e-commerce pages as well don't you you go you go on here's a adidas trainer blah 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 blah. and then afterwards it says technical specs and it's like sole thickness like 2.1 inches or whatever like there's only a few people that read that yeah some people will read it some people will go oh, okay i understand that it's like on a laptop some people buy a laptop they buy a macbook some people go on a macbook and say right no i need i need i need an m2 core processor actually i need a i need more ram than that that ram is not going to do it for me so there's some people that need that information some people don't and i think the same with processes is keep it simple and where you need to go into detail that's when you can go into detail but try to try to do the first way first so yeah. simple and then expand on that rather than just expand on everything otherwise hours we you know we've spent we've lost our trying to do our detailed processes that just weren't <laughs> weren't read This podcast is sponsored by Shazoo.co. They put together branded swag boxes for new employees that made the onboarding experience personal. Check out Shazoo.co today. I think we've, I think we've learned a lot today, Dan. Have you learned about our relationship today? Because uh, there's some similarities. I am there. myself, yes, yeah, so I can see. <laughs> yeah. Some great advice, though. Yeah, I mean, what, what we're, I think the the plan, if you're okay, Alex, is I was literally just going to move on. Um, the fully remote, so obviously following on from the the really good team culture that you had within the office. Yeah. Now that's then moved on when you when you took the business remote just before COVID, and then it was going to move on to why you exited and and how if, if that's what, if you've got time for that. And that'll be night time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alex is like reaching around trying to get a jacket from somewhere. Like he's like like a fire there with his feet. Yeah. No, we're good. <laughs> We could do that. Oh, okay. Dan, are you you're right? Evan, anything you wanted to recircle back on or no, only stuff that probably isn't that interesting really to other listeners, just me. So I will leave those out. Okay. Okay. There's much better information, I'm sure, from Alex. So yeah, I'll let you carry on with your stuff. <laughs> you had a really good office culture. And then in early 2020, before the COVID pandemic, you actually took your business fully remote. I should claim it as premonition, but no, it, it it was really down to feeling that I just we just did not need an office to operate. And I know other businesses will be different, but at the time we were in an industrial park in in Oxfordshire. It's not it's not a London office. It's not a city centre office. It's not. It doesn't have that pull and the gravity that comes with that kind of like central hub. The work we were doing was related in terms of we work best when we're fully focused and actually people in the office disturb each other. Phone goes off in an open plan office. Everyone's listening. Everyone wants to know who it is. Everyone's immediately tuned off their work because the phones rang and they want to know if it's that client they were dreading. If someone makes a cup of tea, it's a cup of tea for everyone. And all of a sudden it's another, another chat. And I don't think these are bad things, but one thing that I realized is that time is for me, that time was not effectively used. I would much rather give someone an extra hour so they can spend with their kids or go to the gym, than have them talk about daily chit chat whilst they, whilst you make 
tea or listen on the phone or just disturb other people so it was really just a, a feeling that <laughs> it was actually quite selfish really because I just I felt like I couldn't work an open plan office at the time my my pie wasn't there wasn't much to it and I really was going in the office so I'd come back from a day and I'd I'd be like my, my wife would say how was your day and I'm like oh, like it was good I, I did I did everything I needed to before noon but I was in all day because yeah. um, I felt I needed to be in then I was as much of a distractor as, as the next person and I remember just feeling that we could open our horizons of the other side of this is recruitment going back to the Oxfordshire thing for for what we do it's very specialist to be good there's lots of people that are digital <laughs> but there's very few good people and particularly in an air in a radius of like 40 minutes and 40 minutes is pushing it now for for a commuter a, a commute to work so you've got to find someone who's really good, who's available, who lives 20 minutes near to your office and likes what you do. So that narrowed down the talent pool for me massively. And th- that kind of going deeper into those thoughts were actually like, well, we want the best people working. I don't care where they are, as long as they can work with us and in the time zone and everything else. And we were, at the time, our business was geared for remote work. We had all the chat, <laughs> all the chat was on Slack. Yeah. So we had an office full of people talking online. And then you had like these breakups, which were nice, but it just wasn't necessary. And and then after a period of time, so this was October 2019, October 2019, I basically just thought we don't need an office. We really do not need an office. And then in January, we'd already put stuff in place by them. It was actually, I think it was August where I really had the first initial feel, feelings. And then October, I, I said to my management team, we're going remote. And then October to, to, to January, we basically geared the business for remote work. So we got everything in place. We looked at sort of phones and computer setups, soft phones and computer setups. And what, soft, what, what software do we need to bring in? What stuff were we going to lose? How are we going to get rid of it? Office furniture and bits and pieces like that. So we didn't tell the team until Jan uh, of 2020. And we did it in quite a sneaky way. So we basically told everyone to come and meet us. We told everyone to come and meet us work from home in the morning and then we were going to meet at a pub to have a team meeting in the afternoon so that's what we did and then <laughs> we were sort of planting it in so we said oh, how's your day and they're like oh, i got so much done i was working from home like it just gave me the space to actually get what i needed and we're like okay almost confirmed what we thought was true anyway there were some worries so there were people that are like we're going to miss that office culture but we'd already planned all the answers to those objections. We knew what was coming because we were going to go through that as well. Like, how do you maintain a culture? And we'd learn from other businesses and people that I've spoken to along the way who operate this model on a much bigger scale. How do you do it? And it was, for us, it was always having, one of the best bits of advice was from, from a friend of mine, actually, who runs a team in California. He's based in the UK. His thing is always have something on the horizon. So always have an event on the horizon where you're going to meet your colleagues so for us, it was every two weeks minimum. You would see a col- you would see your colleagues, whether that was a whether that was a coffee in the morning, whether it was going for a walk together, whether it was going to the pub, whether it was getting together in groups or having a group meeting, whether it was a one to one with your manager. It didn't matter. There was always something planned within two weeks. So that really helped us to settle. We obviously lost the drop the costs of the the lease of the office, which was which was great. But to be honest, it wasn't about saving the cost of a lease because a lot of people go into it from a cost saving point of view Mm. arguably you could say that remote work is just as expensive in other ways but for me your investment is going into much more valuable and effective places like going for lunch with a colleague for an hour has 
10 times the relationship building capability of talking whilst making a cup of tea every day because you don't talk about anything do you it's very difficult it's very it's very it's very tricky to have a deep deep relationship when it's like just small talk in an office and so so that's how it came to be it kind of yeah it kind of it was born out of frustration and born out of a remote work and that side of things was not new to us as i said like even when i was 17 16 17 i was outsourcing stuff like yeah. it's not it's not new for me i've grown up with it and i felt completely comfortable i think the business was comfortable in a sense that we knew we could do it because we had processes in place we had all the things in place that we've gone through in this during this chat and and those really gave us the confidence to to make the jump the hardest thing was uh, was actually what would clients think that was hard that was the hardest one because the cl- clients aren't ready for it clients they were just looking at it as a cost saving exercise they're just like oh you don't have an office you can't be a real business and it's like dan we've been around for 10 years like we're not going anywhere. You can still see our accounts online. Like you can still see, go on company's house and see that we're in yeah. business. Like the, nothing's changed. These are the things that have changed. And the thing that, the things that really swung it were how do you how do you turn those into a positive? So for us, people coming into work into the office and sitting in the office all day. Well, for our account managers, we were like, look, go and see the client. Use their office as an office. Actually understand what they do. Get to know the people in their business. Go and hot desk from their from their place. Yeah, that's valuable to a client. Clients like, okay, you actually you you are immersing yourself in in my environment, and that's important. So it actually became the things that the things that became monotonous with an office actually sparked some excitement outside of the office. It's different. It's not better, and I don't think there's a I think there's a lot of arguments as to the productivity side of things. But if you've got the right things in place, and you've got the right people, and you treat them well. You're going to be productive and there's nowhere to hide. If they're not productive, you can see it. You know, businesses that can't see unproductive team members are bad businesses. Simple as that, because you should be able to see it. You should be, you should always have checks and markers to make sure that things are getting done. The things you say are going to get done are going to get done. And that is milestones, goals, check-ins, all of those things regularly enough so that people get into a routine, yeah. not micromanaging. You don't, you don't need to record their bloody screens, and like get all big brother on them. That is a terrible thing to do to any person but you have to, you want people in your business who are going to deliver right so you make those checks and balances are in place so that along the way it's getting done yeah. and a, a good a good any person who enjoys what they do and takes pride in what they do will like those things being in place and that's and that's kind of i think that was a really strong it it forces you to get better as a business when you operate remotely you have to have processes you have to be efficient. There's things that don't quite work. So for example, a Zoom call like this, we can't all talk. I can talk, but if, you know, to have a three-way conversation is actually quite difficult. And if you've got six people in the room, it's like, whoa, who's talking? And then you get someone who just like takes all the screen time and all of those things that we go through. So yeah, we put in place different a different way of doing it. So for example, we did silent meetings. So a silent meeting, you get a document, you write the agenda of what it is you're going to be talking about. Everyone reads it for half the meeting and adds their comments, right? So you read about it, it says bullet point one, I think, you know, discussion around updating the software that we're using. Yeah. And then we'd all go in and I'd say, well, this is actually really important to my role because I'm finding that it's very slow to load, blah, 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 blah. Dan would say, it is terrible. And I, I know there's a couple of other ideas that are really taken off and so forth. 
then the the rest of the meeting is then going through those ideas so that it's not just one person bullying the chat it's yeah. everyone everyone gets heard and that but actually it's a lot more effective than a normal meeting because a normal meeting in an office is no better where you just talk about 50 percent of the meetings is just chit chat it's not effective. Whereas when you've got a dot with all the points and then everyone's silent thoughts and focus thoughts, and then you and then you have half the meeting going through those focus thoughts, it's highly effective stuff. It's, it's a different way of doing stuff. It's a it's different a really, way. Another really great idea. I think I'm going to use that one, Dan. <laughs> I love the silent meeting idea. It, you know what? It's, um, it's, I think it was Twitter. So Twitter actually do this with their employees. I think it was Twitter or Buzz. I think it was Twitter. Pretty sure. I suppose they used to do it with their employees. Their employees are now gone, aren't they? <laughs> well, they obviously didn't do anything because nothing's changed. 8,000 yeah, 8, people was gone and, and yeah, everything seems to be still up and live. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's if you type in silent meetings, Twitter. Okay. I think you'll be able to find a kind of how-to guide and then and then use it, adapt it for how how it's best for you. But we found it really, really useful. Definitely. And, you know, the the working remote is, is a really interesting perspective that, you, that you've obviously talked through there because I'm the person that likes to have those tea conversations. So I'm the main person that will I'll go around and make everyone a cup of tea and I like to disturb them and stop them working and <laughs> find out things about going that's going on and, and, and stuff and that's always I guess been me and I really want to see people I want to see people in the office and I actually struggle like working remotely I even during the pandemic I was the only person going into the office still but that's just me I think that's I think that's the difference it's definitely, it's definitely tricky I think different people enjoy different moments I think having both having the best of both worlds is will will always yield a, a good result but I don't think that remote work is I think it's I think it's it was brilliant when people needed it and it and it and it worked for them and now and now the the narrative is changing and they're saying it's the worst thing ever and yeah ultimately the thing that the thing that you can never buy you can never pay people enough for is time in their lives isn't it and yeah. you know and 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 the thing that was really important to me is if you do work and you want to go to the gym at two in the afternoon and it's not going to fo- it's not going to screw anything else up go to the gym go pick your kids up at three like these things aren't important they're not time they are deadline specific picking your child up from school right but they're moments you won't get back so writing a finishing a bit of work it doesn't have to be at three equally doesn't have i don't want you to work till 9 p.m but some people do depending on that on the character you are you should be able to do as much as you want with as much autonomy you mentioned the word earlier that's true autonomy the only the 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 boundaries you have in place so we said team meetings are at this time yeah the any meetings of course are in this these hours like they're the they're the non-negotiables but if you need to go to the doctors or get your hair cut go doesn't bother me and actually i got to the point where i was really comfortable doing that again pie i didn't have much of my pie at this time so i was getting a lot of free time and i wasn't needed in the business as much so for me, it was not a problem. The hardest thing was actually getting my team to do it and not feel guilty. Yeah. That, they, would, they would be like, oh, God, like, can I really go? Can I really go and get my hair cut at 2 p.m. in the afternoon? Like, is that all right? What would my colleagues think? And we, we, from the management down, we said, you guys have to do that. I have to do that. I have to make a point of it. Guys, just popping out. I'll be back in two hours. I'm, I, I get away with it. But then my management started, managers started doing it as well. I'd say, like, go tell them. With Lewis, it was taking his his daughter to gymnastics. It was a really special moment for him. He's like, that's he's not going to do that for years to come. She's not going to be two, three, four years old forever. Mm-hmm. So for him, it was a big thing. So he made a point of it online. He'd say, 
guys are going to take lavender to gymnastics like i'll be back i'll be back in the evening if ever, if anyone's on otherwise i'll see you tomorrow no one ever questioned the work that you did that's true trust when you're good because yeah. nobody nobody questions what you do i think the yeah, sweet spot that you also had and you you hit the nail on the head you you've got the team and then when you've got a good team and you can trust them and they're they're strong in their areas these are the sorts of things that you you don't worry about you don't worry about them the work's getting done the deadlines are being hit always always assume the best have the check-ins regular check-ins and milestones have those in place because then you'll find out because nobody wants to be chasing check-ins and milestones no nobody wants to go to a team meeting where they don't have the answers nobody wants to get to a milestone where they haven't done the work so they're either you you're either going to do it or you're not and if you're struggling and it's fixable that's fine but it you can't hide hiding <laughs> Hiding is not the answer for anything. So if that's the case, then you need to get another job. We have to part ways because that's not the kind of person you need in a business. And people forget a business a business has to operate. It's got responsibility to all team members. So if someone's there hiding and not doing anything, you get rid of them quick. As as is the case, if you're not doing anything, you'd, you'd expect to be chopped because it, it just it, it, it impacts everyone else. And, and that's not a good place to be for a business has to operate. Yeah. Effectively. And I know it sounds kind of brutal, but I think one of the things that I've definitely learned over years is you wait, I was way too, you're way too kind at the start. Like you can be kind hearted, but kind hearted is sometimes making hard decisions as well. A lot mm. of the time, if you have to set part ways with someone or client, or whatever, it's always, it always turns out for the best, but it might not feel it at the time. Now go remote for me amplifies all of those things that show good from not so good. And and it, and it's important not to go in and say a couple of people in our business it didn't work for because they're not technical and ultimately we we parted ways again always amicably but it just didn't work for them because they just they just didn't get they didn't get it. They couldn't they they didn't get how to jump on a Zoom call and they didn't get that kind of that way of working and that's and that's fine. Yeah. Because I suppose that's it it's the skill set isn't it to be able to work on your own technically in, in a room you have, to, you have to be able to have that kind of social level where i guess you've got friends around you or family that you're you're getting that interaction from because that's one of the main things i think you get from an office isn't it is that social interaction and seeing yeah, people yeah. every day well, so, one of the hardest, one of the hardest just really quickly one of the hardest things that we had to what one a really good piece of advice that i can share with the whole remote thing is is just when we did it we had a log of all the challenges people like a daily check-in um, and we ask people just to do morning and afternoon just write something could be anything if you're doing great just put doing great but one of a load of some really good ideas came from that so one of the things that we don't consider is it's okay when you've got somewhere to work if you've got an office you're in a very lucky position if you've got a quiet space you're in a very lucky position if you're in a one-bed apartment with a young baby and a pet, your wife or husband's on paternity or maternity looking after that child and it's all very chaotic it's very difficult to work in that environment so the daily check-ins were things that we could fix like what is it that you need to help you do what you need to do and it could be something really simple so one thing was like an extension cable right so one of our team members could work they had a space but they didn't have an extension cable that was long enough to get there right that's not for them to buy like we bought that we had to get that if you need if you need a another monitor that's fine. So all of those things where the where the money that you save on an office, there, that's where you reinvest it. If someone's working from home and they've got a baby there or a child there and it's like really noisy and they can't focus, go to a co-working space, go to a coffee shop and here's 20 quid a day so you can get a coffee and a couple of coffees or whatever it is 
price of a coffee is like 10, 10 pounds. So it's about 15 quid a coffee now. <laughs> so you wouldn't be able to do that now, but... You've only been away nine months, but it's gone up a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was those things. You enable people to work, but everyone's different. Yeah. Some people love just being in their own space. That's fine. Some people need to be out and about, as you said. That's fine. Make That's where the individuality can be can can be put in place you don't want people some some people will take advantage of that and some people will underuse it but ultimately like if it makes good sense then it's very easy to do accommodate for how people need to work but you need yeah. to listen you can't just there's no there's no one size fits all and I, I think that's i think that's true of an office or remote I, I don't think there's a way that works for everyone so it's, a, it's about listening to what people want and you give them as much as you can and in return they should give you better work they should be happier and everything else within their role should be lifted as a result of that. That's a two-way partnership. No, sounds sounds really good. Really, really good advice there. Now, Dan, so obviously you've been pretty much hybrid, haven't you, for the last couple of years. How, how do you find coming into the office versus working at home? I'm still, I, it's a, a complex one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been remote for a long time, haven't I? And now I'm kind of trying to get into the office, but I'm kind of... It's difficult because I'm, I'm like on event, working from home, working in the office. So I'm still trying to find that balance, I think, for myself. But there's a lot of positives from being at home. There's a lot of positives from being in the office. I do a lot of creative stuff, like graphics design, stuff like that. So when I need to like get my head down and there's no distraction, like the office can get distracting. So Because I keep uh, making you tea. <laughs> It is team. deep, you know, deep focus. That that's a really good point, Dan. Like deep mm. focus is massive. You what you can get done in 90 minutes is mm-hmm. huge. But if someone comes and screws up that time by tapping you on the shoulder and asking if you had fun at the weekend, it's like you've just lost all of that in one. Yeah. So this goes back to the time argument. You can get everything you do in your working day done in four hours, five mm-hmm. hours. You don't yep. need eight hours. And anyone that does need eight hours is either overworked or underperforming. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've got a full working day and you've got three hours-ish wasted every single day, what could you be spending those three hours on? You could be with your kids. You could be at home. You could be at the gym. You could make dinner. You could go for a run. You could go for a walk. You could catch yeah. up on, on another hobby or reading. Time is so important. I don't think it's been cracked yet, put it that way. I think we've done some really cool stuff with the remote side. And I did a lot of consultancy, like free consultancy with clients over, our clients mainly, but contacts over COVID who were adapting to it for the first time. And they're like, how do you do it? What do I do? And there was always this element of not being fully trusting. And I think that's that comes down to not having the right checks and balances in place. That's a business. If you have enough and you have them in place and they're not like, they're not silly. It's not every day, but you know, it's two, three times a week where you're just like checking in quick where are we with this what's to do you know for us we had we had a a daily task list that was always updated always on rotation so if stuff got on it sometimes stuff would just pile up and it'd be like we know some person's working as hard as they possibly can it's just piling up so then we'd jump in and help or you'd look to hire in that position and another time it'd be like look this has been on there for three months what's wrong and and sometimes it'd be like well it's not relevant anymore so you don't have it you don't have those check-ins you're not having those conversations enough and then and then ultimately you know business and and this is right the way from all the way through the business a business is to provide us product or service for a paying customer you have to provide that it doesn't matter what role you are you they someone's paying you money to do something the business is all about delivering that in the best way with maximum efficiency to allow you to be profitable enough to keep doing it if you're just disorganized then things like remote work will amplify that 
the businesses that can't get remote work to work and they're the ones like remote work sucks like office is everything i can always guarantee you your business has a lot missing because remote work shouldn't be any different to office work it's the same work you just do it in a different environment you can't say it doesn't work and you can't say it's any better because they're, they're the same thing designing dan doing graphic design in an office undisturbed is no different to doing dan to dan doing graphic design in his own studio at home Understood. The outcome should be the same, but it's the environment that changes, isn't it? And that's, they need adaptations to be able to capitalize on how it works. How is it actually working for your business? And is it positive or is it, is it net positive or is it, or is it detracting from something? You know, you, you can take a factory remote, nothing would get done. Or a restaurant. It doesn't work. It's got to be, it's got to be individual. It's got to be individual to the business. I, I don't think anyone's cracked it properly yet, but I am excited for how things will, will be in, in future. So your your pie, Alex, you pretty much got your whole pie, as in you've managed to develop the team, you built the team, you took the team remote. COVID, we haven't, you know, gone through too much about what happened during COVID, but you've then decided to see sell the business. What what prompted what prompted that? There's a few things. So I said at the start that I never set out with an exit plan in mind. And that that's true. COVID hit. COVID, we we were very lucky through COVID in some ways because we were remote. So we weren't stop we weren't prevented from doing our work. The biggest thing for us was about was our clients actually. So we weren't in any immediate danger, but our clients were. So COVID was all about we phoned every client every day throughout the whole of COVID just to make sure can we do anything? We did so much free work and favors and anything we could do we did it because one the monthly revenue covered our expenses we're a lean business anyway so we weren't overloaded we lost clients but they went on pause because they respected what we did so they were like we can't can we just stop this for free you know for two three months while we get ourselves sorted no problem so covid we managed really well and actually as much as involved at that it, at that particular time i had to get back involved big time it was my, you know, the account managers were were fantastic because they, they literally phoned every client every day just to make sure. And we navigated our way out around it and out of it. After that, <laughs> I went back to sort of thinking, well, I don't need to be in the office every day or at my desk at the office. And so my pie became a lot smaller and I didn't need to spend that time. So after a while, the thing that really clicked it for me was I wasn't involved in the business at that point. I barely worked so maybe two to three to four hours a week and and i could probably say i could i could say half of that time was just me being on slack (laughs) chatting and posting memes and stuff so making people virtual teas making people virtual teas at that point i started to feel i was starting to feel obviously very grateful that i was in that position that my my management team were basically running the business and had been for a while but personally, I felt I, I felt like a, like that I wasn't needed in the business, and that was actually really quite challenging for me because I've always been Alex, like the founder, always been like the go-to person or something. But after a while, you know, you be careful what you wish for because it was very much like I knew I had to not be that person. To yeah. I, it wasn't even about the sale; it was about what I went back, what I mentioned earlier about having a business, and the business runs without you. I've always worked that sort of that goal. 
that yeah. goal of, of how do I get this business to work without me? So once I got to that stage, then the sort of conflicting thoughts come in because they're like, well, actually now you're not the main person. Like, in fact, no one comes to you. And I remember, I remember people getting hired and I didn't even know them. And it's like, we're not a big team. I'm like, oh my God, someone started. I'll say hello and I will have that chat, but I'm, I wasn't involved in the process. I didn't know we needed to hire. I didn't hire. I signed off the decision, but it's like, I don't know anything about it. And ultimately I gave that decision away as well. So people could just hire if we needed to get a contractor or even perm, you could do it. I don't need to be in the interview. So that at that point, that's when I started feeling like this is the right time for me to consider selling because a couple of, well, a few things. One, I felt like I wasn't needed. And if I'm not needed, I've kind of done what I've set out to do, but at the same time, I'm useless because there's only so much sitting at home doing absolutely nothing or, you know, to make yourself busy, you can do. And, and it's fine when you've worked for 12 years and worked damn hard during that time, you need time off, but it's, it's tricky to, it's a battle. It's an internal battle that you have with yourself. The second thing was that I'm in a very, very, very lucky position where this business is running without me, but I can't, I, I can't take all the spoils and I can't be the leader of a business when I'm not, when I haven't got my hands on the steering wheel. It's not fair to anyone else. Like, and it's not fair to me to kid myself that that's, that's how it is. So, so that was the second thing. And the third thing was identity. And it was like, well, if I could, if I, if I was to keep, stay with Zest and in 10 years time, would I feel fulfilled personally? No, that would be my answer. Um, because I've got Zest to where I want it to be in terms of like, I'm not in the business. I've done, I've achieved what a lot of businesses never actually achieve time, uh, which is completely removing me now if i did that for 10 years i don't know whether i don't think i would be fulfilled and i think uh, those that combination of thoughts i didn't want to only be known for zest i didn't want it to be my identity i wanted to try something else and challenge myself in in different ways and have the space and freedom to be able to do that and that's that was when i kind of that's when i made a decision really i knew that i was ready for it and that was basically yeah, that, reached a place where even though, like you said, you set out, you didn't set out with a with an end goal. During the way, you'd you'd found that end goal was removing yourself from the business, and once you re- realised that, it yeah, was and, that, and, and that, that was I mean, yeah. same as COVID, same months. But August, I thought it. October, I really did decide at that point. I was on a I was on a retreat uh, with my coaching group. We were in Marbella. It was like a big four day thing, only focused on business, only focused on yourself, and I just. I just, that was my focus. My sole intention was, can I do it? Is it possible? And I was around that made, made me realize that it is. And so October, I really decided in December, I had a chat with my, with my senior team and said, this is what I want to do. These are my options. And then May, 2022 completed. I mean, it happens so fast because usually. So it all happens very quickly, but it, selling to your team is such a joy for me to be able to sell to my team. And I think that's, that was the, my, my ideal outcome was that Zest has to remain Zest. It doesn't have to. I'm not a romantic in terms of like, I wanted the exit. And the most important thing for me was to get a clean exit that's successful. Yeah. Um, but the way you get that is by making sure that your team's taken care of. So I want to make sure my team are there. I want to make sure that the way we do things is, is, you can change it as much as you want, but the core focus of what we do remains. I looked at trade sales. I looked at 
uh, employee ownership trusts. Uh, I looked at so many different avenues to reach an exit, but ultimately my team, I felt, had earned the chance to take this business on. They were running the business. So for me, how do you make that happen? And once I'd made that decision and I had buy-in and we had a plan, it was like, it was quick because there was complete trust. They ran the business. They knew everything about the business. They knew all the numbers. But a lot of business owners get really, they hide stuff from their team. And it's just the most unhealthy way to run a business because at some point, you're either going to grow out of love with it or you're just going to do it for the rest of your life. You know, you're not going to be able to sell it because who's going to buy something when, who's going to buy something from anyone that doesn't share it? And so we never had that problem because it was, here's it, it, it the business. You know, the only thing they didn't know was, you know, like my earnings, but that's just because they didn't have access to that, like the tax for the, the end of year accounts and the, the management accounts on that level. But it wasn't an issue. It was like, here you go. And, and, that made everything really clear. So it went from there, it went to projections really quickly of how do we make it? So the, the other key goal, which I mentioned um, a moment ago, was about how do you make it succeed? And a lot of sort of say, business sales and valuations and stuff are based on cra- crazy amounts of growth. And for me, it wasn't about growth. It was about longevity because we've been around 12 years and I wanted us to be around for another 12 years without me. In terms of the way we structured the deal, it was, yes, obviously I want the payout and I want that to make sure that I'm getting enough upfront. And and, I'm, and if I'm taking on more risk, then that has to um, equate to valuation. But at the same time, I'm not greedy. So I definitely don't want to you know, strip the business of everything. And I want to give you the best chance of succeeding without me. So that was the conversation. And it was just a really, it was just a really nice process. I didn't think... A lot of the time, I don't think a lot of sales would ha- would be as comfortable. Now there were hard times, like there there were there were you know ups and downs, and obviously lawyers get involved, and it's like it's difficult because when you, the legal process is an absolute ball ache, it takes ages, and like it's just you feel like you're on the opposing sides of the table a lot sometimes. Yeah. Um, but the way we the way we managed it, and the way we always said we manage it is we'd talk first, and then we'd go to solicit a second and then the other thing was just being upfront. i was really upfront with with my team i said this is my business you're running it and i want you to have it but it's my business it's my proposal and these are my terms and 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 this is it it's not a negotiation because you're not buying it it's funded by the business and few through future profits yeah. so we had lots of cash in the business which which is the upfront bit and then the rest is funded on future growth but it doesn't need to be growth because we just we were profitable anyway so it comes out of it actually comes out of zero growth. Like the, the the deal would work on zero growth, but there are incentives for that not to happen. The quicker the, the quicker they're paying me out, the better it is, you know, for for everyone. So that's how we did it. And, it, and then when you go through solicitors and and then you talk first because then you're set you're setting out stuff in conversation. Solicitors are looking to take as much money as possible from you. Sim- the more money they earn, isn't it? There, there might be some listening to this at some point and it's just true. Like they're on the clock and they will make any any excuse to add a few hours on. That's my experience anyway. So sorry Alex. Is it possible that I could just simplify this in my brain a little bit because a lot of it I don't really understand. I just want to see if I've got this right. So you actually sold the business to your team. Yeah. And you're going to get paid like over a period for 
selling business to them, not like a one lump sum. That's I'm just trying to work that. When you sell a business anyway, it, whether it's trade or what, normally if it's a trade sale, you would do something called a an earn out. So you would, I'd sell to you, we'd agree a fee. So let's say it was a million quid. You'd say, right, I'm going to give you a third of that up front. And then you're going to earn the rest over the next three years, making sure this business works. Yeah. So you're going to stay in the business. And that's something that I didn't want to do. I didn't want to stay in the business. So the way we did is cash in the business. And we had considerable cash in the business because I never, that's another thing is you've got to think another thing with business owners, which I keep, a whole nother story, but business owners rinse their businesses. I uh, know I've got friends that do it. And it's like, they're the ones that at some point when, when times are tough, it's like, you know, maybe you shouldn't have got that Range Rover that you didn't need because you're only like two years into business. Why have you got that? So anyway, so they're, they're the ones that find it hard because they don't have cash in the business. So I never fleeced the company. I never took out more than I needed. I knew I had it there and I could always access it, but I didn't need it. I don't want to get taxed on it. So over the years, there was a lump sum of cash that I could then draw from the company, a really tax efficient rate of 10% and leaving the business enough to continue to operate. So working capital, et cetera, with a buffer. So that cash then comes to me up front and then the rest of the money comes over a period of time. Got it. But that's incentivized that the quicker, the quicker it is you pay me, the quicker you get your shares and ownership of the business. Yep. Makes sense. Um, and, that, and that comes with all the other benefits of being able to draw dividends and the profits then yours not mine yep all all of those things come into play so that's what we're that's what we're doing but at the same time it's it was very key for me to not put the business in a position where you were going to struggle it's like i want a simple peaceful life and i want i want lewis and zest and i want them to succeed so it was important for me to do that so that's where the, the conversation comes in and you get to a point where you're like I believe that they can do it and I believe I'm happy with my, with my deal. And then Lewis is happy and he believes he can succeed. He believes he can do better than what, what we've set out in expectation. He's not under pressure to do it. It's in his interest to do it. And, and that's when you come to an agreement. So then the rest is just paperwork. It's based on conditions. So on condition of X, you receive Y. The one thing I would say is all of these deals have protections in and things like that. So it's never risk-free. No business sale is, unless you get paid cash up front, which you'd never do. Because, I mean, sometimes I, you'd have to have a very simple, clean business to just be bought out for cash and leave leave out the door the same day. There's a lot of risk for the buyer to to assume. So this is where the law, the, the legals come in. It's just making sure you've got like these conditions in place. As long as you're on the same page and you're going for it, it shouldn't be a painful process. We tried to make it as easy as possible because it's trust. It's all about trust. I couldn't trust Lewis more and I don't think he could trust me anymore. And therefore, if he needs me for any part of the business, he'll phone me. We'll speak. But if he doesn't, he won't. <laughs> he'll crack on. But I won't be on my, on my email saying like, Lewis, how's things? And can we have a chat about this? Like he just cracks on. I can see how the business is operating. As long as I'm happy with it, we're all good. And he gets complete autonomy to make it his own business, which it will be, and it already is, but he's making that his business and I'm not standing in his way. So I hope that kind of covers the... That's really, really, no, it's really, yeah. really interesting. And um, <clears throat> I, th- I think for many people out there who run businesses or looking to run a business, it, the thought process that has gone into your exit, even though I know you said you didn't plan for it, is, is, is very impressive and... I think ultimately it's a very good way of handing over because 
it's a bit like a, a baby. You build a business from nothing, it turns into a toddler, and then it starts becoming a teenager. And then if you no longer want to be in it, you still want to make sure that it's looked after. And like you said, passing on to one of your team members is is probably the most, well, not impressive, but the most kind of... It's idyllic, isn't it? It's like you're passing on to someone who's earned it, who knows it inside out, they lived and breathed it just as much as I have. Six, seven, eight years in a business is a long time. And for me to call it mine is only on paper. Yeah. It's anyone that stays that long is a part of that business. And for me to be able to pass that on to someone to give them the same opportunities that I've had and the same fun that I've had along the way is is amazing. And and I know all of the things that we talked that we spoke about today, all the processes, all the culture all the work all the splitting your pie and getting rid of these things and automating that and all of these things contribute to a business that can be sold it's not a quick process we did it quite quickly but it's still arduous but if you want to think about this was this was saying right at the very start like if you if i could if i if i do do it again i will have the exit plan completely in mind because it's realistically it's going to take you a couple of years or more we had things in place that made the process possible that were just luck like we it was just good practice i'd never thought oh i'm gonna do this because we're gonna sell we just did it like processes so having those things in place was a benefit for us but other businesses that maybe aren't at that stage yet they these are the things you need to be thinking about you need to operate with a business i knew i could sell my business because i went on holiday for a month in 2021 to cyprus actually to here 2022 sorry yeah 2022 if you remember, I said December, I sat down with my team. In January, I, I went off for a month and they never heard from me. And when I got back, no change in the business whatsoever. That's when you know you, you, you knew it was the right time. Yeah. Well, I knew. I wasn't, I wasn't needed. I received no messages or emails, not really. Nothing, you know, nothing that wouldn't be expected. And that I just things that I hadn't handed over at that particular time. Um, but it, it was nothing. I mean, literally a couple of emails that was it and i knew at that point we'd already discussed it but i knew at that point i was it was like i'm ready i I, i'm ready they're ready the business is ready the business needs a leader that's there and has the same energy and can inject that same energy if i'm away for a month and i'm not in the business i'm not the rightful leader of that business can still own it that's another quite that's another did you not fancy moving on to something else and just staying as an owner no because with a business, one of the benefits of owning a business is that you can realize a capital event, which most people can't. So if you're working in a business and you earn your salary, you earn your salary every year. If you sell a business, you can get 10 times your salary in, in, in one event. So it's different. So I wanted to realize that capital event to cut ties so that I'm not the identity of Zest. I understand a portfolio business, a portfolio ownership of businesses, and I think that's a fantastic way of doing it. But for me, I think I was my identity was too tied to zest. I would never really get away, even if I wanted to. I'd never really be detached. If I owned, and this is no disrespect, but if I owned a cleaning business or a catering business or something like that, or a cleaning and a catering business, fantastic. That's they're the kind of businesses that you could run because they're very simple and they're kind of they're very efficient in the way they work. They provide a service. The, the business model is very easy and can be ran by someone and that's different but i think with what we do it's, it needs leadership and leadership is yeah. different to ownership it's big 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 difference and i just didn't want to be in a situation where i was letting the business down by being detached from the business because i wasn't i wasn't going to go back one of the other things that i knew for me 
was I, you know, going through some of the questions you ask yourself internally and, and whatnot. One of the things I, I asked myself was if I need to go back in the business and, and push it, would I do it or could I do it? And my answer was no to both. I'd, I'd, I've had my time where I've done networking four days a week, work like a dog for trying to get everything going. And I've done that. Do I want to do it again? Could I do it again? I could probably do it again, but not possess. Yeah. I couldn't, I well, couldn't read that. That's what comes on to what's next for Alex. I couldn't rewrite that same story twice. I have to get onto a new story. So the new story. So I haven't, I haven't worked since May. I'm planning on at least doing a full year, possibly lovely to two years. It's important. At the end of the day, there was an element of not burnout in terms of stressful burnout, but burnout in terms of I've just only ever known digital since I was very young, since I was. Sort of 12 yeah as I said 12 years old that's all I've ever known so for me it was really important that I have the time um obviously we've moved to Cyprus there was so much that happened in 2022 I sold a business I got married we sold our house we moved abroad there was a lot going on and even now whilst we're doing sort of the immigration stuff over here like I've had a lawyer on speed dial for over a year like <laughs> every single day for over a year so so not working has given me the time to focus on that to focus on me and then to figure out get settled here and then figure out what that next stage is i am looking towards i'm looking towards sort of looking potentially doing investing looking at investments i'm looking at uh, day trading which i've always been an active trader anyway but but actually doing that could i do that full time it's something that excites me because i know it's very very hard and i know it's a very there's a very very small success rate in that industry but it's also something that i believe is a life skill that i can do from anywhere at any time with, with the same benefits as a business yeah i mean it's, that's it's day trading like is that like stock markets or something yes yeah so, so like the next wolf of wall street kind of thing <laughs> i mean I, it's it the alex of cyprus more likely yeah climbing out climbing into a lamborghini no um and yeah, I mean, it's it's looking at it's looking at those things because I what I really enjoy is I look I like looking I like data I like patterns and I like business. It sounds like you're in the right market then with the it, day trading. <laughs> it's something that does sort of stand out to me at the moment. I have been doing it sort of on the side, like trying to learn as much as possible. The other side is going into some sort of consultancy uh, because I have developed a good level of experience, I guess, just by being in it and doing it and can I help you know could I provide that to others but I think in truth that what I do next I don't really know at the moment because that would be in the same industry which is fine but it could be in business but then would I need to learn the industry so the next the next chapter I don't really know but I've given myself enough time to figure it out why don't you why don't we book a date come on the podcast in two years time and we'll find out what happened Yeah, we can do that. I hope by then I'll know. But I think as much as anything, giving yourself time to, it's like when you start a business, you need to make sure you've got enough. You're not worried about paying the bills so you can focus on the business. And I think for me to know what I want to do next, I can't jump into anything too soon. Uh, definitely this this time off has been, it's been great, but it's been needed because I need to detach from 12 years of running one business. There's, there's a whole world out there of other things that I could be doing but I've never explored them. So it's like, I'm doing a lot of reading. I'm doing a lot of researching. When I say time off, I might read or look into things for two, three, four hours a day. And I'm enjoying it. I'm going down rabbit holes and 
and just sort of seeing see where that will lead. Yeah. Maybe it will take off, maybe it won't. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic journey you've, you've been on and the, the fact that you've learned so much and you've done so well and you've managed to do, like you said, what the majority, vast, vast majority of people can't do, which is exit a business. And you've still got the rest of your life to set up new businesses and new areas and do different things. You've got a very, very good platform to, to go out and pretty much do whatever you want to do now. So yeah, fantastic, fantastic podcast, Alex. From from myself and Dan, I think that's definitely one of the most interesting conversations we've we've had, and the learnings I think we'll get from it is is huge as well. And I'm sure those and um, that are listening in as well will, will will take some really good findings from from what you said and your experience. If people wanted to get in touch with you, Alex, where would, where would they go? Nowhere. I'm invisible now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I mean any normal routes. It, LinkedIn. I still I still checking on LinkedIn um, at the moment. So. Just search for Alex Minchin, you'll find me. It's probably the best way on business. And if you want to follow my barbecue, my barbecuing journeys, Instagram, Alex Minchin. <laughs> I'm awesome. every day. And so have you got a flat tire one as well? <laughs> no, <laughs> not yet. Not, not yet. yet. You might have given me an idea though. No, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's oh, uh, those are the best ways to, to, to get in touch. Lovely. Very quickly, Alex, before I, I know Dan's trying to wrap up, but I just want to, I'm just trying a new theme for our podcast and it's just an insight to help us try and uh, work out what, what makes an, an entrepreneur tick. So my question is, well, I'm making a survey. It's business owner breakfast survey. And the question is, what did you have for breakfast this morning? For breakfast this morning, I had two boiled eggs, some sol- toasted soldiers and some cheese cubes. Boiled eggs, cheese cubes, and yeah. cheese cubes. Yeah, oh. get some cheese. Get some cheese, cube it, and then use that as like put it in the egg or having a spoon. Game changer. Wow, you're the first, the first, first on the list. There. So I've got boiled eggs and soldiers and cheese cubes. Sam, what did you have? <laughs> I fruit and fiber. Fruit so, and um, fiber. <laughs> I'm very Not as interesting as that. Me and me and my me and my wife love so I'm always barbecue. I'm making lamb kofta's today, which is oh. quite cool. Which I've already done. I've already prepared them, so they'll be done later. Beck is really a really really good cook, so I'm very lucky with with breakfast a lot of the time. So could be anything, but mostly egg based. Like I love two eggs in the morning. The protein, yeah. Okay, I'm going wrong because I had Cadbury's cream eggs for breakfast <laughs> yesterday. Nice. <laughs> Again, those Easter, you're getting that Easter diet in quickly. Did you put they were just cheese? there on the microwave. I was just like, what's that? I'll have that. <laughs> Do you put any cheese cubes in there, Dan? No cheese cubes. No, that would be a weird combination. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to try that out tomorrow. But yeah, Alex, absolute pleasure. Really, really, really interesting journey. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on and, and, and telling us all about it. And yeah, if you do a masterclass on how to develop your pie, I'd be interested in joining on that because that's yes. that's really good stuff. And obviously, <laughs> yeah, the, the complexity thing and simplifying everything, obviously that's something we're, we're trying to do a lot. I mean, I often get, yeah, I overthink a lot of things and, and I make things complicated when they don't need to be. But so it's a work on, isn't it? It's, it's great. Good it is. Um, yes, yeah, obviously fantastic to hear how well cyprus is going as well and that you know you're enjoying living out there and you've got the nice weather the, the chilled r- lifestyle and yeah all sounds great so we we better get back to our gray skies and no way <laughs> nine till nine till eight work down <laughs> yeah well done to you, Alex. well done it looks like it's sunny where you are boys <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, I mean, yeah, this is this is what Drayton looks like, isn't it, Dan? But no, thank you very much, Alex. <laughs> yes. I hope, you, I hope you enjoyed it. What we'll do is we'll finalise the episode, and if you'd like, we can send it across to you first before we, we post it, or we can post it and let you know when it's live. It'll be up to you. Yeah, post it. Let me know when it's live. Cool. It'll take a while because my pie is quite big at the moment. <laughs> yeah. um. <laughs> Lots of wedges. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're um, we're doing it, quite wedges, a lot of- yeah. We're doing quite a lot of shorts at the moment as well, because that's really good for picking up listeners, essentially. And I think a lot of the snippets that you gave throughout the show, I think really good as shorts on business advice. So, and we'll probably release quite a few of those as well, just giving, you know, hints and tips to people that, you know, obviously in that community, essentially. Lovely. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much, Alex. Enjoy the rest of your day. We we managed to finish before it got dark there, which was good. Just about. Like, oh, still, still looks all right, doesn't it? Still looks all right. <laughs> it's the temperature there. I mean, it does look warm. It's about, I think it was 23 today. Yeah, that's, that's lovely. 25, 25 next week. It's hot enough. But when the sun goes down, it is it is chilly. So it's not, yeah, when, yeah. when the sun goes in, it, it's like you have to wear a jumper because it's mm. it gets cold quickly. Outrageous. I know. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks very yeah, much. Thanks Great so to much. speak. And um, yeah, really, really thanks for coming on. We'll see Thank you soon. You. Cheers. See you later. Bye. Cheers, bye. Well, thanks very much to Alex Minchin for being the guest today. Dan, what, what did you think of that conversation? I thought it was very thought-provoking, Dan. Couldn't believe how much we went into, to be honest. We discovered everything that he's been through for the last 12 years. Just looking forward to hearing that back and hearing the story in two years' time when hopefully we're getting back on. Absolutely. Yeah, it leaves you wanting more, doesn't it? Lots of good stuff there. Um, Absolutely. So next one, we've got Rob Braddock on. Is that correct? We've got Rob Braddock, the godfather of Biddeford. All the way from Devon. But yeah, Uh, from We Built This Business, we'll see you next time. See you next time.